And there we are. Hey. How's hello. everybody doing? Pretty good. Hello, hello. Good. Well, let's get this going. Okay. Welcome to Advancing the Mission, where we keep you informed and up to date on what's happening in local out outreach, global missions, and church multiplication through the lens of County Line Church. I am Outreach Pastor Chris Kazmarek. And I'm Multiplication Pastor Mary Ellen Rail. Awesome. And who do we have with us? Today, we're excited to have uh, Tom Plank with us. And Tom, where are you, where are you physically at this moment? Uh, physically at this moment, I'm in my office at my house, which in is in, which is in Westchester, Ohio, okay. which is uh, the northernmost suburb uh, in uh, Cincinnati. So we welcome you from Ohio today. We, we get a chance to visit with a lot of people, and sometimes we forget to ask, where, where are you actually it's today? True. Yeah, true, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Tom Plank is the chief catalyst with Healthy Growing Churches. We're going to learn a little bit more about that. But he is also the multiplication director for Crossroads 37, which is a new initiative or fairly new initiative of Indiana Ministries of the Church of God. So, Tom, just start us out. Tell us a little bit about Healthy Growing Churches, because um, a lot of our watchers might not even yeah. know what that is, how it got started, what your passion is, and what kind of things you do. Yeah, glad to share that. So Healthy Growing Churches was uh, a grassroots effort uh, that started a little over 10 years ago by four Church of God Anderson pastors. Uh, as they looked at our movement, they saw, you know, so many churches um, that were struggling, you know, either on plateau or decline. And they had a passion to see churches thrive, reaching people, making disciples. And so, um, you know, big part in the early days of what they were doing was coming alongside churches that were stuck and helping them launch new life cycles. So in, you know, close to 11 years, HTC has worked in 37 states and multiple countries. I, I, I tried to find that number today. It's somewhere in the teens. Um, but, you know, over the years, HTC obviously has morphed a bit, uh, but our passion has remained the same. Uh, we want to see healthy pastors. We want to see healthy churches. Uh, we want to see healthy churches that are multiplying. That includes, you know, disciple making and churches that are starting churches. Um, specifically, our mission is to engage leaders to multiply. We, we firmly believe that if leaders are healthy, churches are healthy, uh, they're going to be reaching people, making disciples, and starting new churches. So uh, we're getting after that these days primarily through three uh, modes, if you will, mediums, uh, cohorts, coaching, and consultations. So especially the last couple of years, the real focus has been around cohorts. We knew that if we could get pastors in circles having the right conversation, that we would get movement toward things that I just talked about. So done dozens of cohorts, which have led to, you know, obviously other opportunities with one-to-one -one coaching and consultation work that we have done. So super excited to be a part of Healthy Growing Churches and uh, obviously excited to be a part of this conversation. So thanks for the invite. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you really just serve churches anywhere that call and ask on your services. Yeah, we do. You know, obviously the four pastors that started it and many of the people that would, uh, that HCC has served over the years have been not primarily Church of God, but a, a pretty big percentage, but we've worked in, you know, multiple denominations, different networks of churches. As a matter of fact, I launched a cohort this morning with uh, some brothers from the uh, Church of the Lutheran Brethren. So God has opened doors outside of our movement, but, um, you know, home base is home base. And, you know, we're, we're trying to serve, you know, the community where we, you know, we had our birth. So, yeah. That's so important. That's awesome. I got a follow up, I guess. I don't know. I was just thinking of this as we were talking. So 
so sometimes we talk about multiplication in such a big, this like big, like deep level, high level. What's just tell me like what, as far as healthy growing churches, Indiana ministries, whichever. What's why? Why do we multiply? Like what's the what's the purpose of of multiplying? Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, there's lots of reasons to for that, Chris. A couple of things that I would share. One, you know. Uh, from the very beginning of the story that gets told in the Bible, we see multiplication at play. And it's a common motif throughout the entire scripture. I mean, Jesus, or God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, you know, the, the first couple. And you just see it all through the pages of scripture. And, you know, from just a practical standpoint, what we know statistically is new things draw new people. Um, you know, several studies that have been done in the last, you know, couple of decades that, you know, just said, you know, new churches, new campuses, new multiplication ventures reach people faster. Um, yes. And that's not to say that we don't need established churches. Obviously, we do. You know what I mean? But if, if you're looking for uh, to put it in business or bang for the buck, uh, if you will, one of the best ways to invest to steward ministry dollars is to start something new. It just has uh, there's something about it that attracts new people, new growth, new disciples, new believers. And, you know, so those would be a couple of reasons that I would, you know, you mentioned multiplication, Chris. And one of the things that we've worked really hard over the last couple of years to expand in that, and that is what we consider multiplication. Back in the day, we just called it church planning, right? It was right. grabbing a, you know, kind of an angsty young youth pastor, <laughs> plopping them in a city where they knew no one, give them a little bit of money and pray we get a church. Um, we've certainly widened the scope, you know, campuses and fresh expressions and ministry outposts and, you know, um, what, what you call them, not spiritual families. What are you calling them? Faith, faith communities, faith, yep. faith communities uh, you know, uh, a great example is, you know, the church in Auburn, you know what I mean, was, was willing to die. So something could be restarted there. I mean, all of that, from my perspective, fits that the scope of multiplication, which I think has been a real kingdom win as we've widened the scope of what we see as, you know, as multiplication. Absolutely. No, that's helpful. I just think a lot of people, again, we, we sometimes forget that not everybody knows all the, all the what, basics, what, like what is multiplication yeah. and all that. So, well, and at the end of the day, if you think back to just the first century church, if they had not multiplied, you wouldn't be sitting in Fort Wayne and I wouldn't be Absolutely. sitting in Westchester, you know, right. It's just, it's a part of our DNA. It's who we are. And when we live into that, I think we, we step into the favor of God and he goes before goes before us and makes a way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. All right. We're going to ask you the question we ask everybody nowadays, COVID. <laughs> so COVID. What's that? I, what's I that you, about COVID. <laughs> Fill me in on what that is. <laughs> so obviously it's changed a lot of things, how we think. Um, and, and you wrote, wrote an article, a uh, blog, uh, talking about can, kind of comparing it to the ice age. Can you talk a little bit about that and what, what that means and, and, and some of the positives and negatives that you're seeing from this. Yeah. So, you know, now we're several months in and, you know, we've closed and now we've reopened and, you know, so much history, but think back to early March, mm -hmm. uh, a guy by the name of Andy Crouch wrote an article called leading beyond the blizzard, why every organization is now a startup. And he talked about, you know, how people as, as we, as this all started to unfold, how people were viewing it, right? He said, there's this bucket of people that are viewing it as a blizzard, right? You're, you're in Northern Indiana, you've probably lived through you know, a Obama. blizzard or two, yes. you know? So when it's blizzard time, we know it's gonna be a few days, maybe a week, so what's everybody do? They run out, they buy milk and bread and full of paper and they hunker down in their houses for a few days. There were some people that thought, you know what, we're in a blizzard. And then there were some that thought, well, it's gonna be winter, right? Winter's a season, right? Where, you know, you 
you change your clothes, we go outside less, you know, takes longer to get places. I mean, there are just some dynamics of winter, it's colder, et cetera. Some people that thought, you know, two, three, four months. And then there was this bucket of people, probably much smaller that were describing it as we were entering a little ice age. And what's interesting about that in 1816, there was a uh, Indonesian volcano that erupted that caused um, a solar uh, radiation disruption. It caused all kinds of issues. Long story short, for a couple of years, I think it lasted nearly three years, in the summertime, there were literally frosts. I mean, like it altered the climate of the planet. Wow. And they, they refer to that season as a little ice age, and it lasted a couple of years. And, you know, at that, I mean, think about how prophetic it was in early March to have this thinking now that we're, you know, several months into this. Yeah. And the power quote from the article is, yet we urge every leader to realize that their organization's survival in weeks and months, let alone years, depends far more on a radical innovation than it does tactical cutbacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling leaders, you know, like, all right, we've got it. We can't think about this like into the early summer. We really have to take a long range view of this. And, and quite honestly, I was saying at the time in early March, we, we led some COVID-19 response plan cohorts. And I was saying to pastors, this is a powerful opportunity. We have a window to accelerate some really powerful missional behavior, multiplication, change. Um, I still think that's the case just because we, we find ourselves, you know, I was talking to some pastors this morning, thinking about calendar and some things that are on the calendar to, for the fall. We're like, well, we'll see you. We may, maybe we won't see you. Who knows? You know, we, we may land it back in a Zoom window. I mean, it's just, there's no way to plan, right? I mean, strategic planning is just gone, right? Yeah. At best, you have a playbook with a whole set of audibles that you can call based on what happens this afternoon or Friday or next week. So, again, at the time it was prophetic. You know, now it's very clear that this, you know, COVID's not going away anytime soon. And some of the financial and mental health and some other issues that have, you know, now in play that we're just, we're, you know, we're, we're in for a long run and we've got to settle in and, and yeah. morph and change and find ways to lead. Yeah. I think now we, we realize we're in an ice age (laughs) and that, that things are going to be different for a while. And we, at County Line, we like to be strategic about let's make a plan for this or how can we handle that? But I love what you said about radical innovation and we've made some strategic cutbacks and we've changed our budget and we've moved some staff around and we've changed how we do church. But can you give us some examples of radical innovation? Because I, I would be all about that if I knew more what that looked like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll probably get to some of that in uh, a little bit later question, but for a minute, I want us to kind of fly at 25,000 feet because it's so contextualized, right? Like I could give you, Hey, some clickbait kind of things, you know, like boom, 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 boom. But for just a minute, let, let's fly at 25,000 feet, because I think as a part of this ice age, as a part of this season, it's a unique opportunity to shift paradigm. And I think if we can shift paradigm, and maybe coupled with that, even uh, philosophy and theology, I think it really sets us up to lead, not just in the short term, but in the long term. Um, so when COVID hit, especially when we went into quarantine, it was essentially like playing chess without the queen. Now, I'm not a big chess player, but I know the value of the queen, right? And so you take the queen off the board and suddenly it's a totally different game. 
Well, when we went into quarantine, we no longer had our buildings and we no longer had a majority of our programs. But yet we still had a call individually, collectively as congregations to do ministry and most importantly, to stay on mission. So I think one of the radical innovations that has to take place in the church in this season is we have to put Sundays in its rightful place. Mm-hmm. Um, so think about it this way, another illustration. I'm not a big sweets guy, but who doesn't love a good ice cream Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the ice cream and then whatever else you'd like to put on it, right? Chocolate, nuts, and caramel and whipped cream and then cherry on top, right? So before COVID, for most churches, Sundays were the ice cream, the toppings, the whipped cream, and at best, mission, missional, or I should, let me say it this way, missional behavior, disciple making, and multiplication at best was the cherry on top, right? Mm-hmm. I think the radical, radical innovation or the, the main pivot that most churches in America, especially our tribe, need to make is to invert that, right? Where mission and disciple making and multiplication and reaching people and empowering everyday missionaries needs to become kind of the, all of the pieces of the sun, Sunday. And then Sundays when we gather needs to be the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. And I think if most, I think if churches can make that pivot just from a, a conceptual perspective, paradigm, philosophy of ministry, I think they set themselves up to lead on the other side of, and whatever we get there and whatever that looks like. Because, yeah. um, you know, I think we would all agree on this call and probably most of our listeners uh, or viewers to this 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 video and podcast, the reality is we are racing toward being a post Christian nation, mm-hmm. and COVID did nothing but accelerate that. Right. Uh, great ex- example of that is just comeback rates in churches. I mean, it is way smaller than any of us anticipated or hoped for, mm-hmm. and now there's a, this whole other bucket. You know, you had the, the the nuns and duns. Now there's this whole other bucket of folks that aren't coming back. Mm-hmm. They're out of the habit. Um, Mm -hmm. they're afraid, you know, whatever the reasons are, there's just, and some say it could be as high as 30%. Um, and they may never come back and the, the, the Sunday experience may not be what it takes to reach them. So again, I think that's the radical pivot that we're all probably going to, going to have to make. The other, other thing that I'd say kind of flying theoretical is, you know, I think we have to reclaim, uh, incarnational presence. Um, you know, another way to say that is just being good neighbors. Um, you know, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it doesn't, he summed up all of the Old Testament laws in two sentences, you know, or two statements. I was on a, a, a cohort a couple of months ago with Hugh Halter. I don't know if that's a new name for you all, but he's um, done some extensive writing in that, um, you know, missional community um, uh uh, incarnational present space. He says this about evangelism. He says evangelism is not telling people something. It's changing their assumptions. Mm-hmm. And I don't know of any other way to change people. If he's right, and that's a pure, that's a more accurate, pure def- a definition of evangelism in our context. I don't know of uh, a more needed time to be incarnational. I don't know how to change people's assumptions without being present. Right. And being present means proximity it means vulnerability, you know, it means sacrifice, it means all those sorts of things. I, I'll just give you an example of that. Uh, you know, I'm a pastor, and I was a high school athlete, baseball player. And so after college, or in college, I did what most people do, and you become a weekend warrior on the softball field, right? 
and played at a fairly competitive level here locally and in the region. And so I played on some non-church teams um, and I hated it when the subject came up of what do you do? <laughs> well, most knew because going into it, if you're going to have me on your team, I'm not available on Sundays till about 1230. So most people knew what I did, but it changed the atmosphere. Right. And so from start, I, if I was going to have an impact on the guys that I was playing with, I had to change their assumptions of what it meant to be a believer, what it meant to be a pastor. And I think that that's probably even more the case today. Um, you know, some, a, a practical way to say that is our homes, your house and my house is the new front door for mission. Yeah. It's not the front door of County line church. It's your house and it's mine. And there's, you know, eight to 10 people that live within, you know, uh, a few hundred yards of me. And I live in the suburban setting. I know it's a little different for some that attend County line, but Mm -hmm. um, your home, my home is the new front door of of mission. And how, how do we empower people? How do we leverage our homes? Um, mission. Hugh Alter even goes to say, if we don't learn to incarnate in fresh and new ways, the church will die. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I was convinced of that in February, January of last year, uh, even more convinced of that now that we're, you know, in the midst of this, um, you know, pandemic and social unrest and all the challenges that have come along with that. Yeah. Now, that's a great lead in to, for me to ask this question. So something that we've been talking about, I would say in church world (laughs) a lot, is this idea of decentralization. Um, And that's more that now the church staff, we're we're, we're still doing what we've been doing. It's had to change. Priorities have had to change. But now there's more of an empowerment on the people in the church to do. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what that looks like in the future? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Chris. You know, um, first, let me just say this, because <clears throat> some people are going to be watching this or listening to it and go, well, he's one of those guys that wants to kill Sundays. I do not want to kill Sundays. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm put, I, I, I long for us to put Sundays in its rightful place. And so it's a both and, right? It's a come and see, because uh, I pastored a come and see church for 20 plus years in Cincinnati. I mean, we were really good at helping people walk to and across the line of faith. And then if we could get them to show up a couple times a month, serve once a month, give a little bit. And man, we were hitting a home run if they were involved in a small group. You know what I mean? Um, So, you know, again, I I think there, there will in the kingdom, there will always be a place for the body of Christ to gather and worship and fellowship. And there, there'll always be a place for that. But I think the piece that we have to reclaim is the go and be right? And it's not either or, it's both and. Um, you know, because when you look at the ecclesial minimum, there's a few requirements, right? It's the sense of community, the sense of mission, and the sense of worship. And it doesn't matter if it's five or 5,000, that's a church. Right. And, you know, again, if we're coming and seeing, it's just about our circle and there's no go and be, then I don't think we're living into, you know, our call. So part of the way that I've encouraged churches to get there, and I'm going to get to some some examples in just a minute, Chris, so hang with me, yeah. is we have to find ways to inspire, raise up, equip, and empower everyday missionaries yeah. that are being missionaries in the places where they work, live, and play. And if we can't do that, then the future of the church in America is in deep trouble. Um, that was the case you know, again, eight, 10, 12 months ago, it's even more the case now, you know, in the season that we've, we've, you know, had to walk through. I just love, I love what you're saying there with this flipping. 
we're going to have, I know next week, we're going to actually have Beth Wolf on, who's a, she's a pastor out in Maryland. And I had a call with her about some of this missional reaching our neighbor idea. And she, she might even talk about it next week, but she's, she had this idea where she says, the traditional way of church has always been, I am the Christian. I invite somebody to, to a service. We get them into community and then we send them out to do the same where she says it should be completely flipped. I'm, I'm sent out into my neighborhood. I'm talking to my people. I'm in community with them. And then when they're ready, we invite them into a service. Yeah. I just, I Absolutely. love that. I, I love this idea of, of everything has to flip and it, it's hard. It's a culture change. It's, yeah. it's not an easy, Oh, let's just quickly do this. It's, it takes time, but yeah, I think absolutely. it's so important. Um, it's yeah. again, incarnational ministry. That's what it yeah. is. Absolutely, man. So one of a couple of things that we saw, we were seeing churches do in this season, thinking about everyday missionaries and you know, someone watching this is going, oh, I'm in, right? Yeah. What do I do? Um, right. One of the more powerful ideas that I heard during the quarantine was churches were developing radical minimums. They were developing radical minimums for the individual and radical minimums for all of their groups, right? And it was radical in the sense that not it was like some outside the box. Oh my gosh, where'd you get that idea? You must have really good Googling skills. But it was a, it's radical in the sense that everyone's doing it. So for just a minute, imagine all of the individuals consider County Line their, their church home or let's make it bigger. All the individuals of the Church of God, Anderson. What if we were all doing the same thing in our neighborhood, our workplace, the teams we play on, the schools we attend? That's radical. If we could get everybody moving in the same direction, that would be really powerful. You know what I mean? Prayer walk in your neighborhood, hosting an ice cream social at the end of your driveway, throwing a barbecue back, uh, barbecue in your backyard for the entire neighborhood once a month. I mean, if we just imagine the impact we were all doing that. Same for groups. The other thing that I, I think has been pretty powerful in this season on the decentralization front is a lot of churches are pivoting toward empowering leaders who see themselves as, and I, I don't know what to title them. I won't necessarily call them pastors. Let's just use the word leaders of small churches in their homes or in their neighborhoods. I mean, literally empowering people to say, gather a group in your house and pastor them, lead them, disciple them, <laughs> encourage them to be missionaries in the places where, you know, where they work, live and play. And again, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever replace, at least in our lifetime, um, the, the Sunday experience where people gather and sing and worship and all those things, you know, do kids ministry, student ministry, yada, yada, yada. But we have to pivot in this season and going forward um, in some radical ways and, you know, radical minimums and, you know, leaders of smaller churches that are spiritual families moving toward or on mission together in a neighborhood, a place in the city or the county or whatever that might look like is a really powerful, powerful idea. I think the dynamic of that too is very different uh, depending on what size your group was when COVID hit. Yeah. And, but I think it's something that a very small, small church could do or a very large church yeah. could do. And, you know, in our situation, we have people coming from, many counties far and wide all around us yeah. and we we don't have a neighborhood right here but we have been excited about the potential that we have because we already have people uh scattered yeah. uh quite a ways yeah. but it's it's very overwhelming because we can embrace that idea 
but we have learned that it takes a long time to get people on board and sure. to, to, to right. change to change sure. their heart and mind to give them the vision for doing things differently. And I think even yeah. even just for people to trust themselves that they can that I can do this, that I can lead people. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I struggle with that and I'm a pastor. So it's, yeah, I mean, it, but I, I think it's, it's life-changing for the church, mm-hmm. yes. Dixie Church, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we can and, buy into it. And I, I think the future of the church is going to be different. It doesn't, we're never going to go back to the way it was before. So we know we're going to face a new church and a new future. Yeah. Um, and trying to lead our community here like do you have some great counsel for us or some advice about especially as we work with the people that we already have connections with who are scattered around you know what words of advice do you have for us about how to um, help them capture the vision and have the confidence that they can pastor their neighborhood yeah that's a great question um Gosh, I wish we had another 20 minutes to unpack that. Take your time. You tell us, tell us <laughs> yeah. what we need to hear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and I, I wish I had some magic bullets to fire too, but unfortunately yeah. I don't think there are in this season. I think so. You know, I, I think what, what I would want to say to folks is um, it's time for us to reclaim our core calling as followers of Jesus. You know, I could take you a couple of different places. So let me just take us to Matthew 28, right? Go into all the world, make disciples. And you can do a lot of things around the church. You can plant churches, you can start faith communities, you can feed the hungry, you can um, serve those that, you know, are, are struggling with some mental health issues um, and not make disciples. Right. And, you know, <clears throat> you know, I, I would imagine that it grieves the heart of God, the few number of people who have lived this story. They've built a relationship with a friend, family member, coworker, and they've helped walk them to and across the line of faith. They've poured into them relationally and spiritually until that individual is an obedient follower of Jesus, can hear the voice of God for themselves and follow it, right? And then the, the process repeats the few number of people in most of our churches that have lived that experience from what I would describe as made a disciple that made a disciple that made a disciple. I mean, when Jesus sat down and he and God were having this conversation, however, that goes down, you know, with the Trinity, right? Like, Hey, how are we going to reach the world? It was go into all the world and make disciples. That was Jesus' plan A for reaching the world and newsflash. There is no plan be <laughs> you know what i mean so when you say well how are we going to be effective in COVID? how are we going to be effective in the future how are we going to be effective in a post-christian culture how are we going to be effective add finish the sentence yeah. i don't think it's too far from matthew chapter 28 mm-hmm. and i think most people that attend one of our churches are far more prepared than they realize yeah because um, honestly gang changing someone's assumption i mean if he's right about evangelism is not telling people something it's changing their assumptions that's not everyone can do that right that just takes time and presence and good old-fashioned love because <laughs> um, yes. you know most people that aren't connected to a church we say hey what's a christian and they're they're not they're not going to describe kind 
and loving and time and serving there. They have a whole nother list doesn't include any of those things. So if we can just be that for neighbors and coworkers and friends and the list continues, I think we'll go a long way to, you know, having an impact in, you know, in this season and, you know, going forward. Thank you. I mean, that, that's yeah. exciting stuff to me. Is. I'm me very too. pumped about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been exciting to see churches like County Line and there's, you know, uh, dozens of other churches, not only in Indiana, but in Ohio, Michigan, kind of the Midwest region, if you will. It's probably really the Great Lakes, but let's call it the Midwest. Um, <laughs> man, the number of churches that are having this conversation and trying to figure these pieces out is at an all-time high. Um, so I think there's real hope for, you know, for our movement. Um, you know, I just think about the, you know, the, 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 the tra- transitions and, um you know, growth that's taken place at County Line, you know, over the last couple of years in the space, it's just been really cool to watch. Um, so I'm excited about how that can play out in the years, you know, the next few years could be really, it's going to be really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think back to when this first hit, I was listening to a podcast or something in that realm. <laughs> um, I don't remember exactly, but there, there was a question asked to the person, they said, is this, is COVID the end of the world? Uh, and, and her response was, I don't know, <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's revival. I think that's what this is. And that's, yeah. that's what I'm like, I've been clinging to through all this. And really, I mean, if you think about all of this that we just talked about, I mean, that's, it's revival in the church, mm-hmm. um, yeah. totally yeah. renewing the way we've ever thought about things. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's hard. It's not and, easy. It's and it's a, it's a journey. I mean, we, we haven't, we didn't start this journey when COVID hit. I mean, we, right. you know, <laughs> Nathan started pushing our buttons <laughs> years <laughs> ago uh, yeah. about being missional, being missional, being missional, and getting the leadership on board about being missional, missional, missional. And so I really see it as a, as a journey that you can't, you can't fix in, yeah. in six months. Right. Um, and so we're working really hard about having conversations mm-hmm. to, to move us further yeah. down the field on, um, uh, I think we have our leadership on board with the missional mm-hmm. idea, um, but working with our everyday people, becoming everyday missionaries, everyday mm-hmm. disciplers, um, I, I feel like that's the next step on our yeah. journey down the field. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Chris, when you said that, I, let me quote one of my favorite songs. I admit, 90s, maybe. So it dates me a little bit, but it's not the end of the world, but it's the end of the world as we know it. Right. Yeah. Right. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, if there's ever a season where extra grace is, should be extended and is needed, we're in that season, right? So, you know, I've, I've had years to make this transition. And I got to be sensitive to folks as they make that transition as well. But there's no reason to fight it because the, the world that we knew is yeah. gone and right. you have to grieve that. And then you have to figure out what it looks like to do mission and ministry and all of that going forward. Absolutely. And, um, you know, my heart goes out to leaders, to pastors in the trenches because it's exhausting. So if you're watching this and you're a County liner and um, not a staff person, be kind to your leaders. It is a lose-lose culture right now. And no matter what decision you make, someone's not going to be happy. So extend some grace to 
not only your family and friends, but to your staff at uh, County Line. Thank you. That's very helpful. That is it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for jumping on with us and talking through all this stuff. I mean, this is just, I mean, to me, it's really exciting. I just yeah. I get really pumped up when we start talking about loving our neighbors and not only loving them, but figuring out how to just be friends with them and, and serve them and serve our community. And uh, yeah, it's just all exciting stuff to me. Uh, it was, it was my pleasure. I kind of lines, one of my favorite churches in the country. And uh, I, I hate to see Nate Tapman transition. I'm excited for them. Nate and I were kind of co-conspirators with yes. some of this conversation yeah. in the region back in <laughs> no, 2015. But he, but he left a legacy here and started he something. And if he, he had not been here to start that, yep. We'd be in a different place. Yeah. We'd be in a Amen. different place. Absolutely. But, but this has been great, and maybe we can get together again and talk some more. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit about it. Anytime. I'd be glad to do that. Okay. Awesome. All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. It was great seeing you. See you. Blessings. Bye. We'll see you soon.